Amen. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of James. The book of James. And uh, we're going to start in chapter 1. We're going to begin a series tonight. Not sure how long this will take us. Depends on how long I talk, I guess, on this little short book. But I believe and I think that it will help us in just everyday living, practical things. How many knows that sometimes we just need some help in practical things? Uh, how many knows that there's some folks around us that just need a little common sense about how they, how they do things, how they make decisions, and how they look at, uh, at things? And uh, so that's what we're going, to be, we're going to be talking about tonight. Let's, let's begin at, 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 in verse number 1. Let's go down to verse number 8. Verse number 1. James, the bond, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to remember that first verse there. James, a bondservant of God. And of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's important. So just keep that in your mind. To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Know that the testing of your faith produces patience. Somebody say amen. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, and he, if that's the case, then he's unstable in all of his ways. He's unstable in all of his ways. Have you ever met anybody like that? Let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer it, but I just want to ask you a question. Who is this James we're talking about, this book that we're, what we're looking at? Who is, who is this James? Because if you look in the Scriptures, there's really three prominent figures in the Scripture, in the Bible, with the name of James. And we have James the Apostle. The Bible talks about who is the son of Alphaeus. We have James the Apostle, who is the son of Zebedee. You remember that in Scripture. And then we have James, the writer of this epistle. James, the writer of this epistle. When you look at James, the son of Alphaeus, the Apostle, James is one of the the twelve. He is named in the list of apostles according to Matthew chapter 10. Matter of fact, his mother's name, when you look at these Scriptures, his mother's name was Mary. So we know that he was, he was part of that. He was, she was one of the women who went to the tomb of Jesus and found that it had been opened. James, who is also called James the Less or James the Younger in some, in some translations. Because the apostle Matthew also, he's the son of, he is the son of a man named Alphaeus as well. He has been, he has been thought that he and James, according to theology and according to some, uh, some uh, books, that they were brothers. But the two are never referred to in Scripture as brothers. They, they, we, they wonder about that. They've never been referred to as brothers. But if you look at Peter and Andrew, James, they, it, was a, it was a different James and John, they were consistently referred to as being brothers. Nothing else is known about James except that he is among those who was in the upper room to pray after the ascension of Jesus Christ. Then you have James the apostle or the son of Zebedee. He was also one of these 12 apostles. 
He was the son of a man named Zebedee, the older brother of John, the apostle. We know according to Scripture that James, this, this James was a fisherman. And he and his father and his brother, he was, he was one of the first apostles to be called by Jesus to be part of that, of that chosen twelve. And John, or Jesus gave John and James uh, the surname Bonagiris, if, if you remember that in Scripture, which means they are sons of... Now, you just use your own definition right there. They're sons of thunder, all right? And so together with Peter and John, James was, the, was a close friend, a close confidant of Jesus. Matter of fact, when you look in Scripture, this, this James here, the, the son of Zebedee, was present at many important events in the life of Jesus, including the resurrection of the daughter of Jairus, Jesus' transfiguration uh, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. James, uh, according to history, was killed by King Herod Agrippa in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. But then this third James, the writer of this epistle that we're looking at, uh, he's the 20th book of the New Testament. He identifies, and this is why I want you to remember that very first verse, he identifies himself. He's writing about himself, but he identifies himself as a bond servant, a bond servant, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if I was to ask you a question, I hope that everybody in here tonight would be able to lift their hands and say, are you also a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you serve him willingly? Do you listen to what he says? Do you read his word and try to abide by what he says? Because this is, this is what this James is basically saying. I'm a bondservant. In other words, I'm a slave to Christ. Whatever he wants me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Wherever he wants me to go, that's where I want to go. Whatever he wants me to get involved in, that's, that's, that's what I want to get involved in. And if we could ever get that in our minds tonight, I promise you, life would change all around us. Our outlook would change all around us. Our attitude would change all around. I'm not saying that we don't have some perspective of that. But I've got to be honest with you. I'm your pastor, so let me just confess a little bit. I'm not sure that I want to do everything God wants me to do at times. Because, Sister Mavis, sometimes it's hard. Are you following me? Sometimes it's difficult. I want to be obedient. And me and God, we'll talk about these things. You know how you guys, you do the same thing I do. We, t we talk and we have discussions with the Lord. Lord, are you sure you want me to do this? Are you sure you want me to go in this area? But James here said, I'm a bond servant. I'm a slave to Christ. And I'm a servant to the Lord Jesus Christ. All of, this, all of the New Testament, uh, the several New Testament people named James here, he, it is possible that, that, that this James here, according to Galatians 1 and 19, is the half-brother of the Lord, of Jesus himself. Now, now, to me, that's significant. Because when you have boys growing up with one another, the boys that I know growing up with one another, they fuss and they fight and and they push one another down, and they're buddies for a little while, and they're not buddies. I, 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 picture this in your mind. Jesus and James growing up under Joseph and Mary's rule. And they're boys. They're just, they're just do boy things. Now, we know that Jesus was different the first time we, we hear about Jesus when he was 12 years old. But we don't know nothing, Brother Keith, before then other than when he was born, when he was circumcised, when he came before the temple, all of that. Anything between that, we don't know. We don't, we don't know what happened. But you can imagine and just suppose 
And he was just like any other boy growing up. He was skinning his knee. He was getting boo-boos like any other boy was getting boo-boos. His mama would have to come and kiss that boo-boo as mamas do and put Band-Aids. I don't know if they had Band-Aids back then, but put something on it, you know, back then to take care of all of these things. And these brothers was growing up the half-brother, but James, matter of fact, this guy, they say, was not even saved until after Jesus was gone. Now think about that. That's very significant to me. He was not even part of this, this group, Sister Ruth. And, I, and, and you have to imagine, at least I think anyway sometimes, that that's my brother. He ain't nothing. Why is all the big fuss over Jesus? I grew up with him. <laughs> Are you following me? I grew up with this guy, but, but he come to the understanding and he give his heart to the Lord and he began to make this statement here in the first verse, I'm a bondservant of God. I'm a servant. Let me just change it a little bit without you think I'm taking anything away from the Scriptures. I'm a servant of my brother. Whatever he says to do, I'm going to do it. Whatever he wants out of me, I'm going to do it. Whatever he desires, I am going to do it. He was a well-known figure of the church. <coughs> probably, probably this book here may be the earliest some theologians says earliest of the New Testament writings, this book of James. And probably it needed to be so <coughs> because of the things that he deals with this book right here. This book here shows the difficulties of the, of the people of the early church. Not only did it speak to them, but it really speaks to us as well today, such as pride, such as discrimination, <coughs> excuse me tonight, such as greed, such as lust such as hypocrisy, such as backbiting, such as worldliness. James writes this little book here to correct all of these evils here by showing that faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Go to James chapter 2 and 26 and find that. Profession of faith, just because you have a profession of faith, does not mean that's good enough. There's got to be a walk. There's got to be a relationship with Christ. I was talking to somebody in the hospital this morning. We got to talking about this very, very thing that, that it seems like we live in a culture that everybody is talking about Jesus, but ain't nobody living for him. Now, I'm, I'm using vague references here. I know everybody is, is, is vague here, all right? So I'm praying to God that we are living for him. <laughs> That's here. There's a lot of people that are living, but, but we live in a culture that everybody is talking about the Lord, but where is the relationship? Where's the relationship that they have? And we begin to justify our things. Matter of fact, I was speaking, giving a devotion to about four or five of the ladies of the staff this morning at the hospital. One lady stayed behind. It was as always said, Pastor, let me ask you a question. Why does it seem to be this way? Why does it seem that Jesus could be speaking to us and yet we go right by and we, and we walk through him, it seems like, and not even listen to his word? So many places in the Bible you can find where people have got comfortable in their walk with God. They have got at ease. Job was at ease. The Bible said that. He had people all around him that was sinner folk. He had, he had nations all around him that, that not one time does the Scripture say, Keith, that he went out and testified and he witnessed to him. But the Bible said he was there in the middle of all that and he was at ease. He was at ease. He was comfortable. 
I preached to you Sunday, I think it was, or last Sunday about, about Job, not Job, but, but Lot in the city of Sodom that had to be yanked out of the city because the Bible said he lingered. He messed around. He was fooling around, if you will. They had got comfortable at the place that they were at. I was explaining to this lady, I don't have the answer other than that right there. Sometimes we get so comfortable. And we was talking about how does people go back upon God. And we get so comfortable at times in our walk with God that we really miss the main thing. We really miss the important thing, and that is a daily walk and a relationship with the Lord. Too often we have a relationship on Sundays only. Too often we have a relationship on Sundays and Wednesdays only, or maybe part of the week, or if I really want to do this, Lord, I'm going to put you on a shelf right here. James was trying to come against these things. Faith without works is dead. He rebukes the rich, and we'll get to that in chapter 5. He tells us to be patient and take courage. He talks to us about not swearing. He talks to us about the effectiveness and the seriousness of Aaron of prayer, that we've got to pray. He talks to us about the seriousness of turning around and going backwards instead of moving forward. And so you, you can begin to imagine when you think about these things, this, these brothers here, and how James referred to him as a servant of Christ. He's talking to him here, and as I was growing up, they had no relationship in that sense, but now I'm a servant of Christ. Verse 2 says, Consider it all joy, my brothers, whatever you face, trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance finishes work so that you may be mature and complete, not wanting or not lacking anything. It says for us to consider it pure joy. Now, when somebody to me, when, when you've got pure honey, that's the real thing. Dwayne knows a little bit about that. We got some, we got some bees and a, and, a, and a honey hive out of an old building down on the campground. I don't know how many jars of honey they got, but we had some beekeepers to come just the other day. Some of y'all, if you need to see the pictures, goes, look, they've been down there for I don't know how many years, three, four, five years, and been building a nest. It was a huge nest. They got some, how many, how many bees do you say they got? 50 to 60,000 bees out of this old, old uh, shop, and pure honey was in that hive. Pure honey. That's the real thing. And so the Bible says, consider it pure joy. Now, I don't know how to describe what pure joy looks like, but I'm going to try. This right over here is joy. <laughs> this right over here is pure joy. <laughs> now, I know that really looked dignified, but you got my point. It's a different kind of joy. It's a pure joy. Now, now, now we, we like that joy thing because we love to laugh. We love to be friendly with one another. We love to feel good. I mean, those endorphins and all kinds of things are released in our bodies when the joy and, and all those kind of things come. But this is the part we don't like, Brother Brian. Consider it pure joy when I face trials. Well, that's a downer. I'm supposed to, when I'm facing a trial, I don't even want to be like this when I'm facing a trial. I don't want to do that. But consider it pure joy when you fall into diverse temptations or face trials of many kinds. 
One translation says various, as I read to you earlier in the New Living, of various kinds of trial. Now that sort of seems weird. It seems odd, doesn't it? Count it joy when you face trials. Count it joy when you face temptations. Count it joy when you face those hard testing times that comes our way. Those are not things which normally brings joy into our life. It doesn't. Let's just be honest. And so when you read this, you're, you're getting this thought, at least I do in my mind, this guy's nuts. He don't have a clue what he's talking about. Until we begin to read on and we begin to study and dive into what the Scripture is saying to us. Trials, testing, difficulties, temptations. How many of you love those things that I just read off? Let me see your hand. We've got one right here that loves that. Me and Sister Mavis is the only one that loves trials. And I can't answer for her, but I'm, I'm sort of lying here. I'm just... <laughs> I, I'm sorry. You don't like them either, do you? <laughs> okay, we just, we're on the same page now. I don't know of anybody that likes trials. Trials are difficult. Trials are hard. Trials sometimes make me not want to get out of the house. Trials sometimes make me not to want to face individuals. I don't, I don't want to do that. Trials, testing. Now, here, here, here's, here's, a, here's a hard saying, but let me just put this out to you. Trials and testing can be fun if they result in victory. How many of you can be honest with yourself and with the Lord and you can look back over your life and say, and you can pick out, I mean, you can identify already a specific trial that you were going through. You didn't understand it at the time. Had no clue about it at the time. But now that you've come, it, it, some of you may have taken months, some of you may have taken years to get through that trial. But once you're through it, you look back and said, God, I've got the victory. I didn't understand what you was doing back then. How many, how many of you have ever done that before? Probably every one of us. It can be fun when they result in victory, because nobody wins a race unless you have to train first, right? You have to go through a trial. The preparation that we go through sometimes is tough. Preparation is difficult. If you want a body that looks like mine, you gotta, you gotta persevere. You have to work at it. <laughs> Not the way that I do, but the other way. The race is a time of testing. There may be a temptation many times to cheat. That's my problem. I cheat. Winning honestly because of discipline and effort can bring joy. It can. It can bring joy. When I've persevered, Brother Adam, and I've put the time in, and I've dedicated myself, and I've consecrated my life before the Lord, and I'm, and I'm walking through those trials. I'm doing what he's asking me to do. I don't know how long it's going to take to get through that trial, but once I get through that trial, I can rejoice. I can have victory. And James understood this. I don't know what he went through in his life. It'd be interesting to talk to James. Be interested to understand what he, what he had to go through in order to get to this place where he can make that kind of a statement. And so this verse is not necessarily talking about something that we could accomplish on our own. It's not intended to be that way. That's what we've got to understand. Because you and I, we cannot do it on our own. We can't do it. 
We, we can't live this Christian life on our own. I wish we could, but we can't. You may be powerful and you may have, you know, perseverance, but I will tell you, you ain't all that. Because if the enemy can't get you here, he's going to try somewhere else. If he can't knock you off the mountain over here, he'll try over here somewhere. When you least expect it, he comes in and he slides. He knocks, knocks you down or he knocks the legs out from underneath you. When you look in the scripture, it's about relationship. It's about our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about our walk with the Lord that's going to guide us into where we need to go. It's going to be by cooperating with what the Lord is trying to get us to, to, to achieve. It's going, to, it's going to be cooperating with the fact of Sister Parker, I'm not where I, where I need to be. God is he's transporting me. He's, he's processing me. He's, he's doing those things that I need to. But in the middle of all of that, those, when those trials come and, and those temptations come and the, and the difficulties come, but somewhere down the road, I'm going to be made like him. Somewhere down the road, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be changed. You go back and look in scriptures. King David was just a shepherd boy when he, faced, when he faced Goliath. He was just a shepherd boy when he faced those dangerous trials. The Bible talks about that he killed the lion, he killed the bear. We look at 1 Samuel chapter 17. The Bible says, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went, I went after it, David said. Struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine as well. Now, how, how was he able to say that? It was because he already had the trial with the lion and the bear. It's because he already went through some stuff. You've heard me say this before, but you can't take people to where you hadn't been. You can't help your family member understand healing unless you've been healed. And they know you've been healed. You can talk about it all day long, and it sounds good, but they're not going to listen to you unless they know that they know that they know that you've been healed and you know what you're talking about. You can't take people. Sister Michelle cannot take us on Sunday mornings and this worship band to places that they hadn't already been. The reason that God is ministering and touching through our worship is because they've already been there. They've put the practice in. They've learned the songs. They've had the prayer. They've dedicated. They're doing those things in order to bring us into the Holy of Holies on Sunday morning. And I'll say this with her here, and she'll know, she'll know what I'm talking about. If they ever cease to do that, they don't need to be up there. She knows it as well as I do. If they, if, they, if they ever cease to understand their responsibility and their role, then they don't, they don't need to be up there. David understood that. David could have been lunch for the lion. He could have been lunch for the bear, and he would have looked like a, a chunk of chicken, really, on a stick, as little as this guy was. But he trusted God. He trusted God. Little is much. Remember the old song? When God is in it. Little is much when God is in it. So David, we know he had great exploits. He, he had victory on the other side. He defeated the Philistine. But listen, watch this. Same guy, same, same kid, a little older. David had another test, another trial where King David put aside God. He got comfortable with his position. He got comfortable with where he was at. Now, I'm going to tell you, church, if this doesn't speak to who we are today, there's nothing will. 
because this is exactly where we are. He got comfortable with that, and he, and he turned his back on God in the time of testing. What was the failure? King David, one day, saw a little woman on a rooftop. Temptation got to him. Sent and had that woman brought up. She was married. Had the man killed. Adultery. Same guy. Same guy that had the victory over the lion and the bear and the big old Goliath. Same guy. Same guy that brought victory to the children of Israel that day. Same guy that messed up. Same guy that God had said he, had a, he was a man after God's own heart. Same guy. So we're in, we're, in, uh, we're in good position here. Because if you think you have blew it, if you think you've, you've messed up royally, look, the Lord can do something with you as well. He done something with David. We find David in Psalms chapter 51. After all this took place, he began to plead with the Lord. This is what he said. He said, Lord, restore to me your joy. Restore to me your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. In other words, Lord, keep me. Don't let me go. Keep me. Come to his senses, so to speak. Come to his senses. So, so what are the trials then? What are, what are the tests? What are the temptations that, that maybe you're facing tonight? Are you, are you trying to handle them on your own strength? Because if you are, let me help you. You can't. Give it up. Let God help you. Let God take over those things. If you're trying to do it in your own strength, you will fail. You'll fail. You may succeed in a lot of earthly things, but I'm going to tell you, those things that are eternal, you need God's help. You need God's help of true value. The true God, the true and living God will fill that emptiness with joy. Count it all joy. Count it pure joy when you fall into those temptations. That's what the scripture here is talking about. That's, that's exactly what we're dealing with. Trying to live like a child of God while not being one of the most, uh, while not being one can probably be one of the most frustrating lives you can ever live. What are you talking about, pastor? You come to church every Sunday morning, you're going to act like you got everything together, but you know you don't. It's frustrating. It can be aggravating. When I appear that I've got everything going on, I lift my hands at the right time and I say amen at the right time and I might even shout at the right time, but you already know inside you ain't got nothing. Was David king? Yes, he was. Did he have authority? Yes, he did. Did he have power to command? Yes, he did. Was he a, a mighty warrior? Yes, he did, but he wasn't nothing when he failed. God had to remind him where I, where I brought you from. And David said, Lord, restore to me your joy. Restore to me your joy. How, how, what are you talking about, Pastor? If, if we ever get disconnected to the vine, from the vine, we're going to be in trouble. John 15 and 5 says, I am the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away, that withers. Such branches are to be picked up, thrown in the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, then you'll, you'll be able to ask what you will. Ask what you wish, and it shall be done unto you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. 
James says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face those trials. Count it joy, my sisters, when you fall into those trials because you already know that the testing of your faith will produce perseverance. It'll produce a patience within you. How many of you lack patience? <laughs> We've probably all got a, got a bit of that. We lack patience at times. But look, when we're tested, so the next time that you get testing, the next time that you have to go through those trials, don't get upset at the trial. It's trying to help you to produce patience in you. It's trying to give you some patience. It's trying to give you some perseverance. You know the most, the most testing that, that, that I, I guess right now that probably bothers me more than anything else? It's people that drive too slow. It's, it's people that doesn't know how to drive. It's people that pulls in the Walmart parking lot going the wrong way when I'm following the arrow supposed to go this way. And it's people going down that wrong way trying to park. I was in Jonesboro the other day and I pulled into the Chick-fil-A to get me one of those tall glasses of half and half tea. They got the best tea. And as I was pulling out, getting ready to leave, there was a lady that come the wrong way She's coming this way, and the traffic was going this way. Y'all know where the store is there. The store's right here. She's pulling this way on the second lane, and she tries to park up in the front lane. And I looked at her, and my perseverance, my patience level, I was going to say, you're ignorant. That's what I wanted to say. I didn't because I knew her. <laughs> and, I was, and I said, it, no, it wasn't Mama. <laughs> and I'm thinking, do you not see the errors in this parking lot? It was at noon, the tra the, everybody, everybody was full, the parking lot was full, and she was just trying to beat everybody else to get to front parking place. And I'm thinking, really? And you're messing everybody up now. <laughs> Patience. Endurance. It probably, if, if, that, if that's probably what gets me going more, it's just being in a vehicle behind just goofy people that does not know how to drive. Anybody goofy people in here that don't know how to drive? We got one, Kenny. <laughs> you know, I won't get behind you. Can't consider it all joy. Now, now listen, not, not only does joy, not only does joy come from this testing, but patience does as well. Now, that's hard, Sister Mary, for me to for me to get my wrap my head around this thing. It's hard, it really is. How in the world, Lord, am I supposed to get patience by having to go through this stuff? I, I, I don't see much patience here. How am I supposed to, how am I supposed to learn perseverance here? How am I, but, but patience comes. But not only that, a steadfastness comes. An endurance comes. Have you ever met anybody that it, that it seems like whatever happens, it never rocks their boat? They're just, they're calm. They can just endure whatever. I've met people that way. They, they've developed endurance. They've developed a patience within them. Now, we may think they ain't got nothing up here. But we're wrong. Somehow or another, they've learned endurance. Somehow or another, they've, they've, they've learned patience. I've had folks to come and call me or, or come up to the church and, and just be just basket cases. Oh, Pastor Danny, this is the other. It's, it's going to be all right. It, it's not that big of an issue. Just, just, just hold on to things. It, it'll, be, it'll be all right. Just sleep on it for a night. It'll be all right. 
but that's just how some folks is. But, but, but this, this right here, this, this joy comes from this testing. And perseverance comes. And endurance comes from all of this. What takes endurance? What takes endurance? What is it in our life that takes endurance? Now, we go through this every January the 1st. We all set a New Year's resolution. We're going to work out in the gym. We're going to lose that weight that we put on at Christmas time and Thanksgiving time. And about the second day into it, we've lost our patience. About the second day into it, we've lost our endurance. We pass by that Sonic and that ice cream cone is smiling at us. And we'll have to stop. We'll pass by that Sonic. Karen and I does this, do this when we come back from Jonesboro, the one in Lake City. And we have to have one of those, what do you call them things? A blast. A Sonic blast. A Reese's Sonic blast. They good. And I'll order a, a small or a medium, just one, because we're trying to watch ourselves. Not the many, just the small. And I'll have Karen defeat it to me as we travel down the road. Because it helps us to feel better about ourselves. because I'm not eating a whole cup of that stuff. I'm just eating a half a cup. I'm not gaining all the way, just part of the way. And so we, we can just laugh and just carry on, and, uh, and we'll have a time, you know. Endurance, what is it, Endurance. How long does that diet last? Or we set up our thoughts, okay, I'm going to pray more. I'm going to read my Bible more. And we go through that process, and long about seven days or eight days or whatever the case may be, we, something happens, and we missed our devotion time. We missed our prayer time. Maybe nothing that we have done, something significant or something not to our fault, and we've missed it. And, and by and by, we, we've missed two or three days. And those two or three days turn into two or three weeks, and those two or three weeks turn into two or three months and so on and so forth. You know what I'm talking about? Endurance, endurance, endurance. I, I didn't like this stat right here, Keith, when I read it. They say that people, the percent of people in their 20s, who's in their 20s here tonight? I'll raise your hand right quick, in their 20s. We got, we got a few. Now, come on, Danny, I know you're not in your 20s. If, all right, this is, this is for you guys, which is great. Percent of people in their 20s who achieve their resolution every year is 39%. It, it didn't even make it 50%, just 39%. But this is the part I didn't like. The percent of people over 50, how many is that? Let me see your hand. Some of y'all lying. The percent of people over 50 who achieve their resolution is 14%. <laughs> so if I decide, in other words, if I decide this is a New Year's thing or a new... Uh, a new guideline I'm going to put in my life or whatever the case, I better be a part of that 14% if I'm going to make it. If not, then it's going to go out the window. When I looked at that, you think about this is the exact opposite of what should be happening in the life of a Christian. Now, I'm fixing to let you go, but let me, let me leave you with something here. Dad can testify of this, and, if, and if, if, if you had any other pastors in the house, I'm not sure, but I, when I, since I started pastoring, I've, I've, been, I've been noticing this more and more. Brother Charles, you, you have noticed this too in your ministry. There's people that have come to church, and by and by, they, they stop coming for whatever reason. Could be a, a 
ball game, could be a uh, whatever, vacation. I'm not trying to put emphasis on the reason why they're not coming, just not coming. And over a period of time, you begin to see that person miss more and more that used to never, never miss. That's why the other Sunday when I was telling you, some of, some of, some of us that, that are here on Wednesday nights and here on Sundays, you, you, you begin to see a flow pretty much that God is taking us into, a vein, if you will, that God is trying to show us some things. But if you, if you only come on Sunday mornings, you're not getting the whole spectrum of things that God is trying to do. That, that's one reason why it's so important for us not to forsake the assembling together. I understand we have to at times because of work schedules and all these kind of things. And I get, don't come up to me after church and say, Pastor, you're just preaching to me because I just talked to you about that. I ain't talking to you. I ain't talking about you. Just giving you perspective here tonight, all right? We begin, to, we begin to do away with some things in our life that we want to take a break on this or take a break on that. And, and I get that. We, we need that from time to time. We have to, we have to recharge. It goes back to this thing of what I was talking about with Sister Michelle. They, you, I, I can't give you what I don't have. I believe, now I don't do them a lot. Dad didn't do them a lot. But there's a lot of ministers that I know that, that they'll, in their church every year, they'll take what they call a sabbatical. Y'all have ever heard of that, Right? A sabbatical is a time a period, I don't know if it's any length of time, where ministers will just leave their church for 30 days at a time to go out and replenish their spiritual walk. Sort of like me and you was talking about the other day, Sister Mavis. Now, I, maybe I should do that, but I've never, it never is in my spirit to do that. Because if our walk with God, in my opinion, now this, please... Don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that those things are good or bad, all right? But if my walk with God can be consistent, Sister Parker, I believe that every now and then I may can take a Sunday and go rest, take a weekend and go rest, Brother Dwayne go down to the campground and rest. That was to help you, Sister Sheena, just a little. <laughs> Private thing there. I'm helping Dwayne, but probably not too much. Change of pace a little bit to rest. You know what I'm talking about? And we just move on. Jesus had to pull away at times. He had to pull away. He had to get away from the crowd. I'm getting preachy right now. But he had to pull away from the crowd in order to get alone with him and God. Now here's the point we need to get. If we pull away, that's fine. But if we don't do nothing with it, there's where the trouble comes. There's, there's, there's where the disconnect comes from. We pull away. We don't stay with Christ. We don't, we don't pray. We don't, we don't read our Bible. We don't stay consistent in our walk and our relationship because this is the thing that I do. I'm the pastor of a church, so I've got to do this. I'm the pastor of a church, so I've got to be here on Sunday morning. I'm the pastor of the church, so I've got to read my Bible. I'm the pastor of the church, so I've got to study. I'm the pastor of the church, so I've got to pray every now and then. Well, if that's my attitude, and if that's what I'm looking at, and if that's my role, then I better get out of the pulpit. But my hope and prayer when God calls us is to be shepherds of the flock and leaders of the flock and give you what God has given me so you can take it and give to somebody else. And James says, in the midst of all of those things, when you fall into those temptations, and when you fall into those trials, and you fall into those, those tired moments and agonizing moments, count it pure joy. Because in that, we can be built up in our faith. We can be built up. That's why Paul was able to say, I fought a good fight. 
That's why 11 of the 12, if I'm not mistaken, was martyred, burned at the stake, dropped in hot oil, hung upside down, killed, because their relationship with Christ Christ was everything to them. Go back to Brother Parker again. Just tell him. Tell him, Pastor, my relationship, your relationship with Christ is everything. There is nothing else. There's nothing else. James 1 and 4 says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature. I like this word. And complete. You ladies know what I'm talking about. You don't like to leave the house not complete. You know what I'm talking about, right? Got to have your makeup on. Got to have your hair fixed. Now, some of y'all don't give a rip, but you should. <laughs> that was free. <laughs> we got to be complete when we leave the house. I like the commercial. I don't even know what commercial, what it was doing. But it was making this lady, I don't, some of y'all may have saw it, making this lady feel real good about herself. And she grabbed her purse. She got up one morning, and she was walking. She looked in the mirror, and her hair wasn't done. Her face wasn't done. And, and she had to turn around and go back because she, was, she just felt good about herself. For what, I can't remember the commercial now. But we, we like to be complete. Count it all joy. Count it joy. Count it joy. Complete, yet you may be perfect, that you may be complete. And here's another term that we need to... We need to write down, lacking nothing, Brother Graham. I don't lack anything when I have him. I lack nothing. I am perfect and I'm complete. You may not think I am, but he says I am. I may not think you are, but he says you are when I can can follow this. Count it joy. Count it joy. It means that we've got a relationship with God in closing. And part of this great kingdom on earth, joy, joy. Let that endurance come. Let the endurance have a perfect, the Bible says, result. A perfect result. Lacking nothing. So where are, so where are we today? Where are you today? Do you know him as your Savior? Do you consider it joy? I hope, hope you begin to change maybe. Some of, those, some of those thought processes, all of us. Do we consider it joy when we face trials of many kinds, of many kinds? Is the Lord building endurance in you through victories that come by faithfully following his lead, whether it makes sense or not? That's a tough one. I don't have a clue, Lord, what you're trying to do. It doesn't make sense to me. But I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. I'm leaning upon you. If you look around, and many of you do, but if you look around all around this world, it's filled with sadness. It's filled with despair because with or without Christ, doesn't matter, with or without Christ. Let me say that one more time so we can get it. I'm not just talking about the saints here. With or without Christ, every one of us face trials of many kinds. Every one of us. And so there's so many people today that are hurting and they need to understand that there is hope in Jesus Christ. Now, I know I've said I'm closing two times, but let me say it one more time. I'm closing. This is, this is the practical thing that can help us here. Karen is leaving. I'm, I'm, I'm just really about to close. She's done. My trial will face a little persecution and 
I'll, it'll, it'll produce a perseverance in me. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> when, we, when we think about this right here, there's many people that, 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 are, that are hurting that need to know what we know. Now, here's the thing. If we act like they do, they'll never know it. If we act like the world, they'll never know this joy that we're talking about. If we have the same mentality or the same personality or the same attitude of what we're dealing with here, of the world, they'll never understand. They'll never understand the joy, the pure joy that we're talking about. That's why we as children of God has got to be better. That's why James says, count it joy. Count it joy. Father, we love you tonight. We're so thankful for your, for your touch upon our life. We bless you in the name of Jesus. I know, God, these, these first eight scriptures here in the book of James, they're hard. They're tough. They're tough on us. But God, help us as your people. Help us as your people to conform into the image that you want us to be. Help us to be changed from the world. Help us to be your children, sons and daughters of the Most High God. And we'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.